0: We turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read uh, from verses 17 to verse 29. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, It is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Connection with our scripture readings. We turn also in the Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 28. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ one sacrifice on the cross as, and in all his benefits? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me, and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup in the institution of the Lord's Supper? The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "Take." Eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words, The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one bread, one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we read uh, from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, a short time ago. And uh this chapter is the most frequently cited passage of Scripture in uh, Lord's Day 28, uh, in connection with our confession and the teaching regarding the Lord's Supper. And uh, that's interesting, and uh, it's important. It's interesting because John chapter 6 is not about the Lord's Supper, at least not directly. Uh, you must uh recall that at this point in jesus uh ministry the lord's Supper as uh the new covenant replacement for the Passover has not yet been instituted and if we were to take what Jesus says about eating and drinking his body in John chapter six and simply apply it to the lord's Supper well that would that would uh cause all kinds of problems uh for example, uh, we read in in uh, verse uh, 51, If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now, if that were a categorically true statement with respect to the Lord's Supper, that would then mean that whoever eats the bread of the Lord's Supper will live forever. But we know that that's not true. Throughout history, there there have been many, and there continue to be many today who partake of the bread of the Lord's Supper, but they're not even Christians. Or on the other hand, Jesus said in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And again, if that refers... Uh, only to the Lord's Supper, Jesus is saying, unless you partake of the bread and wine at the Lord's Supper, you have no life in you. You will perish in your sins. But again, there are many who have never uh, had access to the, to the table of the Lord for various reasons, but who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they certainly possess eternal life, even though for various reasons they may never have partaken of uh, that supper of remembrance. And so if we interpret this to refer exclusively and directly to the Lord's Supper, uh, we run into all kinds of problems. It is clear from John chapter 6 that it is essential, it is necessary to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood, if one would avoid perishing in sin, if one would possess eternal life. This is absolutely necessary. But that's not true with respect to participation in the Lord's Supper. I trust that there are those present here this evening who possess eternal life because uh, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, though you have not yet come to that table of remembrance. It is categorically true, and it is taught in John chapter six that believers eat Christ's body and drink His blood. That's true of all believers, and that statement itself, though clearly taught in this passage, it may sound shocking. You just try to imagine how that might sound to the uh, to to an unbeliever who knows very little about the Christian faith, and they come to church, and the minister says, "People must eat the body of Jesus and drink His blood." in order to become Christians. They would probably think that's really strange and bizarre and kind of offensive. In fact, that's how the Jews, some of them listened to Jesus. The Jews quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They understood Jesus' words in a fleshly way. And Jesus says, the, the, the flesh profits nothing. My words are spirit and they are life. And they're not to be understood in that crass way. That's why it's so important, isn't it, to understand what Christ actually means by this language, because it is necessary for salvation. And we must also say that understanding it is necessary for coming to the Lord's table in true faith, and not with uh, superstition or with a kind of presumption that imagines that the Lord's Supper is some kind of a magical meal that just saves people automatically, So what does it mean, this language of our Savior? What does our theme mean, that believers eat Christ's body and drink his blood? Well, we begin by considering uh, the exercise of faith in Christ. That's really the answer uh, to this question. And I use the word exercise, again, aware that it might, you know, Cause misunderstanding, because that's a word that we often use with respect to physical exertion or working out, right? And that's part of training or growing in uh physical abilities. You you exercise and it's a kind of practice sometimes for reaching physical goals. But that's not what we mean by exercise here. Rather, exercise is a word to describe a kind of activity, an activity of the soul a movement, if you will, an action of the mind and of the heart and of the will. Well, then the question is, how does the mind and the will and the heart eat and drink of Christ? If that's what we're talking about. Well, I think it may be helpful to begin by just reflecting on the fact that that eating and drinking is necessary for physical life. That's the way God made us. That's the way God made man in his image from the very beginning. He created him with this uh, dependence upon God's provision for his life. And God equipped man with the ability to taste uh, food and to delight in the, the great varieties of texture and flavor. So that's a that's a good gift of God with which he created man. But there is significance to the fact that even from the very beginning, uh, man in his innocence did not have life in himself. He depended upon uh, what comes from without, the air he breathes, and food by which he is nourished. And that was true from the very beginning. We depend upon God's provision. That's the lesson that God taught uh, Israel in the wilderness, in a way that also showed his gracious uh, power and ability to provide for their needs when they couldn't provide for themselves. That's also behind the fact that all that God needs to do in order to judge people for their sin is to withhold food. In fact, the Bible describes this as one of the most terrible, one of the most Awful ways in which God reveals his wrath and judgment against sinners. I read this past week from Ezekiel where God says that I will send against them, referring to Israel, I will send against them the terrible arrows of famine which shall be for destruction, which I will send to destroy you. I will increase the famine upon you and cut off your supply of bread. And the consequence of that is described earlier in this same chapter. It says, therefore fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgment upon you. All God has to do in order to reveal His terrible wrath is to withhold food. And it's one of the most horrific and terrible judgments that we can read about in Scripture, driving people to such unnatural affection That's to eat family members in their desperation and their hunger. It's horrible. But our dependence upon God also affords a daily testimony to all people. Not only of their dependence upon him, but of his goodness. God has not left himself without a witness, uh, Paul says in Acts chapter 14. In that he sends food, filling their hearts with food and gladness. Or think of Romans chapter 1, which speaks of the testimony of God's uh, divinity and power and goodness, even in creation, uh, leaving all people without excuse. Why? Well, the reason that is cited there specifically is that they're not thankful. They don't recognize the hand of God in the food upon which they depend for their very lives. But at the same time, we know that life is more than food. That's what Jesus said. And the body more than clothing. And that man shall not live. Man shall not truly live by bread alone. Do not labor for the food that perishes, Jesus says earlier in John chapter 6 to the crowds who had sought him because he provided an abundance of bread for them. And they disregarded the spiritual Blessings that he held out to them. Life is more than food. And our physical dependence upon God's provision corresponds to a deeper, a more critical dependence upon God for spiritual life. The life of God in the soul that has been lost because of sin And without God's provision of grace for us as sinners, we are spiritually famished. We are spiritually without strength. We are spiritually without comfort. We are spiritually without life. And so the Bible uses food language for spiritual provisions. Spiritual hunger and thirst is then likened to physical hunger and thirst. Spiritual satisfaction and fullness is likened to physical uh, satisfaction and fullness. We, we heard that in the language of Psalm 63 that we sang, O oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. And then positively, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. He uses the, 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 the analogy of food, satisfying food, to, to provide this feeling of contentment and fullness. But he's talking about spiritual fullness. But he uses the language of food. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness they shall be filled. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Without money, without price. Why do you spend money? For that which does not satisfy. Here your soul shall live. Again, the the language of food and drink to invite sinners to what they most desperately need for their spiritual lives. Before God. You see, above all, Christ himself is the one who quenches spiritual thirst. Kind of thirst that people are not even aware of. They live with a constant craving and they can't get no satisfaction and they don't know why. Christ feeds hungry souls. He himself is the bread of life who gives life, without whom there is no life. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. There may be some here tonight that the most valuable thing that they could ever discover for their lives is the personal conviction that this is the description of the eternal Son of God concerning you that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. You entered into this place without spiritual life. And you will exit this place without spiritual life. You will live the rest of your life without spiritual life. And you will die and go to hell and spend eternity without life. And the only remedy for such a desperate plight is to eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink His blood so that you may live. See how important this is? What is it then to eat and drink of Christ? Very simply. Simply to describe. Not so simple. To grasp with the mind and the heart in the simplicity of its meaning. Before the service, I was just sharing with uh, some of the brothers that, again, reading the biography of Whitfield, it is striking that he himself and uh, some of his fellow members of the Holy Club there in Oxford in England in the 18th century, they belong to this group where they practice the most vigorous rules of fasting. And prayer and self-denial and reading the scriptures and testifying. And they themselves were unconverted men. They didn't understand the gospel. And John and Charles Wesley went to Georgia and worked there in a community of people as as ministers of the Church of England, teaching them and uh, catechizing them. And he went home discouraged and depressed because he didn't see any fruit upon his labors, and he didn't realize that he wasn't really even preaching the pure gospel, because he had not yet himself grasped it for himself. And for a time, he understood the importance of faith, and so he preached faith, the necessity of believing. But even then, he had not grasped for Himself, the simplicity of coming to Christ in His emptiness, but to receive of Him in His fullness. So that faith itself is not simply a matter of grasping correct doctrine, but it's the personal appropriation of a Savior to Himself in His need. And when He came to understand that, then He preached the pure gospel. So there's a difference even between defining it correctly and knowing it personally. To eat and drink of Christ is to receive him. Our catechism describes it simply. It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then it goes on to describe that spiritual nourishment that's also involved in in eating and drinking of Christ that we will look at. And in John chapter 6, that is made clear. That's what Jesus is talking about. In uh, verse 35, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean an altar call? Does that mean something that was only possible for people who were in the presence of Jesus and who could walk up close to Him? No, that's the language of faith in which sinners in their minds and hearts and wills come to the Savior and they call upon the living Christ and say, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me. Receive me in my need. Save me. Forgive me. I take You to myself in all the fullness of Your grace in my desperate need. Coming to Him. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, they're placed in a parallel relationship. To come to Christ is to believe in Him. This is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the sun, everyone who sees the sun, that's a description again of the perception That the Holy Spirit works in the hearts and minds of people to bring them to the conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior. And whoever perceives Him as such and believes in Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up at the last day. Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in Me has everlasting life. And so throughout this passage, Jesus clarifies right along with this language of eating and drinking him that it is believing in him. Believing in him in that way of of personal appropriation. In other words, as with eating and drinking, when we take food Ordinarily, we take food into our hands, and we put it into our mouths, and we swallow it. We take it unto ourselves. So, to eat and drink of Christ is to take him to ourselves, for ourselves, in ourselves. This is the beginning of saving faith. This is accepting, receiving Christ himself for our life. This is the beginning of the life of faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the life of faith. The life that I live. I live by faith in the Son of God. A constant coming to Him, receiving of Him, and His fullness for my emptiness. And this activity, it is not dependent upon the Lord's Supper. And it is not limited to the Lord's Supper. But certainly without it, one cannot rightly partake of the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is a kind of outward uh, expression of this inward exercise of faith which Christ has instituted for our help. And that leads us, secondly, to consider the special activity of partaking of his suffer, Supper. And again, by special, we don't mean something other or something different than this exercise or activity of faith. It's not something else. It's not something different. But rather, it is the activity of faith with the use of helps. We cannot properly think of the, of the sacraments without the kind of humility and gratitude that says, yes, God treats us so lovingly as his children that he not only provides for us, The message that he proclaims to us. But in his condescending kindness and mercy, he says, now children, here, let me make it very, very simple for you. Let me help you to understand the riches of my grace. You see, it's, it's, it's like the way that water washes away the filth of the body. You understand that, don't you? Can't you, can't you see that? Isn't that part of your experience? Well, in the sacrament of baptism, I provide you this visual aid, this very sensible way in which you can uh, grasp the simplicity and the wonder of the fact that though you can't see it, it's invisible. It doesn't happen on your outward body. Yet, my blood and spirit washes your soul from the guilt of sin and renews you by this miraculous power from on high. And just as food... And drink nourishes your body by which you live physically. You can understand that, can't you? And so I give myself to nourish your souls in the way of eternal life. And see, uh, the exercise of faith in the use of the sacraments is the movement of the soul by the use of these helps that God has given to us. Christ appointed signs to impress upon us the certainty of his saving grace to us through his crucified body and shed blood. And so he graciously enlists our sight, our touch, our very taste in order to say to our souls, so surely do I give myself to you. We hear that language repeated in answer 28. As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared for me, so surely His body was offered and broken for me and His blood poured out for me on the cross. As surely as I receive from the hand of Him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely He nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with His crucified body. And poured out blood. See, Christ gave us a way to, to act out, if we may put it this way, to act out an inward motion. He gave us physical action to correspond to this activity of the soul. That's what we hear in the words of the institution of the supper that we read. When the Lord Jesus had given thanks, He broke this bread and said, Take, eat. This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. With respect to the cup. This cup is the new covenant in My blood. This do as often as you drink it. Do what? Well, you take the cup and you drink it. And as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of Me. In remembrance of My blood that was shed for you. And so in this outward activity, you are giving expression to an inward spiritual movement of your souls to the truth that they represent. And that ought to be reflected, brothers and sisters, in the way we, in the way we make use of these sacraments. I trust that when you take the bread, into your mouth and you take that cup to your lips that inwardly you're, you're, you're saying or you're thinking or you're praying something like, Oh Lord Jesus, I receive you to myself as my savior, as my food and drink to eternal life. Thank you for giving yourself to me. Thank you for giving me these signs by which you impress upon my own senses the truth of your promises. I praise you. I feed upon you. I eat your your flesh, and drink your blood by faith as my only life and salvation. Again, the point is not the, the language, but it's the movement of your souls, your thoughts, your affections, your wills, in relationship to this one and only Savior in whom you trust. And the focus then remains upon Christ himself. Yes, we see the elements. We see the water. We see the bread and wine. But there's a sense in which we see through them to what they signify. We taste them. But in doing so, we taste that the Lord is good. We receive them into our bodies with our mouths. But we receive Christ himself, not with our hands and mouth and teeth, but by faith which, that's the Belgian Confession says, is the hand and mouth of our souls. And by these means, Christ Himself works by His Spirit. That's how the Belgian Confession describes the effectiveness of the sacraments as means of grace, where it says, now it is certain that Jesus Christ did not prescribe His sacraments for us in vain, to no purpose, to no effect, as empty, since he works in us all he represents by these holy signs, although the manner in which he does it goes beyond our understanding and is incomprehensible to us, just as the operation of God's Spirit is, is hidden. And on un- incomprehensible. Yet we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body and what is drunk is his own blood. But the manner in which we eat it is not by the mouth, but by the spirit through faith. It is a true spiritual partaking of Christ, the true Christ in the fullness of his being by faith. And that leads us, thirdly and finally, to the promised benefits of so receiving Christ. And there are two, the first being the assurance that Christ died for me. Again, we constantly go back to the simplicity, the beautiful simplicity of the proclamation of the gospel to us through the sacraments. Notice again the very personal language of of uh of answer 28, how many times we read the word me and my. I won't read it again, but it's worth meditating on. It's worth reflecting upon. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, what ought to be the response of anyone and everyone who hears such a declaration from the Son of God, who lives in this broken, sinful, dark, and fearful, and troublesome world? It's the belief that Jesus Christ offers himself to me. In the proclamation of the gospel, he says, come to me. If you come to me, I won't cast you out. Whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to me in your need. I give my flesh for the life of the world. Are you a citizen of this world? This lost world? Come to me. And our confession is the language of faith, of of personally appropriating that gospel message and what it means for me, the sinner, as I receive this Savior. And from this we take comfort in the certainty that Christ has paid for my sins, that he suffered the penalty that I deserve. Because of his death, God's justice, which was against me, is satisfied. And I am forgiven for all my many sins. And I never get beyond the wonder of such grace. And I sing, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And the Lord Jesus says, well, you stay near my sacraments. You, You stay under the word of the gospel. You partake of the Lord's Supper. That's my way of keeping you near the cross. The assurance that Christ died for me. And then secondly, the assurance that Christ nourishes me. You see, we never get beyond the message of forgiveness. But that doesn't mean we never go deeper. In fact, those who are only concerned with forgiveness haven't yet learned the depths of their need, nor the riches of Christ's grace. You see, coming to Christ doesn't mean uh, taking his offer of forgiveness and then walking away and maybe returning occasionally for a little bit more comfort on that subject. No, it means union with Him. It means a growing life in Him. Right? It means more than the assurance of forgiveness. It means more through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. We are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so although He is in heaven and we are on earth, We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. We are nourished spiritually by the mighty, gracious, intimate, present work of Christ in our lives by his spirit so that we live in this relationship with Him. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. He dwells in this relationship with me, and I in Him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so He who feeds on me will live because of me. Yes, the assurance of ongoing Nourishment in this life that Christ has so freely given to us. The Lord's Supper assures me of that. In fact, the Lord's Supper effects that. Through the Lord's Supper, these means of grace, these ways of God's working, God himself does something. God nourishes us by His Spirit. Again, to, to go to the Belgic Confession, it says this banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates Himself to us with all His benefits. At that table, He makes us enjoy Himself as much as the merits of His suffering and death as He nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor desolate souls by the eating of His flesh and relieves and renews them by the drinking of His blood. It's describing what takes place at this banquet by this participation of faith. There is this mystery of God's working beyond our comprehension beyond the simple kind of cause and effect connection between exercising of faith and deriving some benefits. No, they are means of grace. We might say, brothers and sisters, that God not only uses food language to, to impart spiritual benefits, but God uses food to communicate spiritual benefits. He uses bread and wine to communicate spiritual benefits, not by their effects upon the body, but by the power of God, whereby in the use of these sacraments by faith, God works. And actually, that's nothing new, is it? You might say that's also a part of the way uh, we are constituted as human beings made in God's image. Remember that in the Garden of Eden, there was there was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But there was another tree... Remember the name of that tree? It was called the tree of life. And it was a tree that bore fruit. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were expelled from the garden. Why? So that they could not eat of that tree and live forever. Because that was no longer the way in which God would communicate uh, this spiritual, eternal life that he intended for Or people made in his image. No, now there had to be another way. It had to be through one who himself shared in their image. One who himself would experience starvation and hunger for 40 days such that he was vulnerable to the temptation of the, of the wicked one in the midst of a wilderness to turn bread into, to stones into bread one who experienced the desperate thirst of his tongue clinging to the roof of his mouth on Golgotha as he suffered the judgment of God and said, I thirst. Access to the tree of life required the death of the Son of God so that through him we might feed upon this divine source of everlasting life by faith. Oh, the tree was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a means whereby through food, God imparted spiritual benefits. And now as creatures dependent upon God for physical food to sustain our lives and spiritual food to save and sustain our souls our gracious God gives Himself to us in the person of His Son. It says, feed upon me by faith. Take all that I am and have for you to yourself, freely offered. Eat, believe, drink, receive, and live. You see what a gracious command we're given. I kind of saved it for last, but that's how Lord's Day 28 remembers, or... Uh, begins, remember. It says, in this way how does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? In this way Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. It's a command. It comes with authority. It's a gracious command. It's a command that should win us. A command that should draw us. A command that should uh, lead us to seek to overcome every obstacle in the way of coming to this banquet as believers in the Lord Jesus who feed on Him by faith. But it's a faith that believes His Word and believes His ways of strengthening me in that faith and nourish me, nourishing me in the path of eternal life. And so I prepare myself, if I do not yet come, And I anticipate coming, and I think about it. And I work towards membership in a Christian church where I might participate in that table as a member of the body together with God's children. And I do it all for Jesus' sake, believing his promises and the precious gifts that he's given me for my life. Amen.